city spent so quiet since the boys in green went back. But it only took them three months to put Porton on the map. Yes, the stadium's never heard the sound of cheers in all its years. When the players come on the field, the thousands singing in their ears. Green is the colour, soccer is the game. We're the Portland Timbers, and winning is our aim. So let's give all of the boys a cheer for the Portland Timbers will be here. So on this episode, we have, uh, as much as he'll hate me saying this, a Portland soccer legend. And on top of that, a very nice guy who's been giving to the Portland soccer community for the last 45 years. I'll more formally introduce him in a moment. First, I want to say welcome to John Bain. John, thanks for coming. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. It's a pleasure to uh, to be here. Fantastic. So let me, uh, I'll be a little more formal with this next bit uh, as I introduce you. And if I, if I have anything incorrect, please correct me. Um, so John was born in Scotland and played First, first played professionally, excuse me, for Bristol City. He scored his first professional senior team goal while on loan to Brentford. In 1978, John came to the U.S. and joined the Portland Timbers, where he scored his first goal for the Timbers in a 3-2 home win on April 22, 1978, against the Rochester Lancers. At the last match of that season, Bain scored the first Timbers hat trick in history in a 3-1 road win against the Colorado Caribous. John's 45 goals and 55 assists for a Timber make him the NASL franchise leader in both categories, and he's number 31 among NASL players all time in goals and number 10 in assists. After the NASL Timbers folded in 1982, John played for the Outdoor Seattle Sounders, Minnesota Strikers, Ottawa Intrepid, and in 1990 as a player coach uh, came home to the WSL slash APSL Portland Timbers. Inside that impressive career, uh, that makes him, to my knowledge, the only person to have played professionally in Portland in three different decades. John also scored 139 career indoor goals before playing his last match for the 1994 Portland Pride. He's one of only six people in the Portland Timbers Ring of Honor. Yet, of all this, what's most amazing to me is not just that he's a super nice guy, but that he's been building the game here through coaching at the professional, club, high school, and college level. In fact, he's still coaching today for Westside Metro's FC where he's the director of soccer operations. I know it's impossible to get everything, John, but how was that? <laughs> That's pretty good. That's a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah, my, I've been very fortunate to to be able to play and continue to coach in the game that I love to be involved in. So thanks, thanks for that intro. Yeah, it, it kind of blows my mind a little bit that, you know, my son uh, could, you know, sensibly play for you and, and other people's kids could could still play for someone who was with the NASL Timbers and has been here, you know, during that long uh, time since we've had professional soccer here. Yeah, and I, you know, to be honest, I was one of the younger kids at that time that was on the team. I was only 20 when I came over. So, I mean, obviously, we had other players like, uh, obviously, Jimmy Jimmy Conway and Clive Charles and Brian Gant and Bernie Fagan that were came over in their early thirties. So I was I was a young un when uh yeah. when in the NSL days. So how yeah, so how did you become a tuber? So what happened was uh I was playing at Bristol City and uh Don Megson uh, who was the who was the nineteen seventy eight he took over as the head coach of the Portland Timbers and he was actually the coach of Bristol Rovers, 
who was Bristol City's big rival. Uh, and uh, and he when he got the job over here, he arranged uh, kind of like uh, for myself and another kid called Brian McNeil uh, to come over on a loan period for the summertime. Uh, at, the, at the time, I was uh, 20, and Brian was, I think, 21. And we were kind of in the first team squad, but not really getting a lot of playing time at Bristol City. And so it was a really good opportunity to kind of come and get a little bit of experience over the summertime. So what basically happened was my initial uh, thought process at that time was to come over uh, on a loan period for the summer to go back to continue my career in England. And so I came on loan the first year. And then you stayed? Well, what happened was I came on loan. Uh, I had a good first season. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And then I went back to play for Bristol City. And uh, when I was back at Bristol City, I was still there. And when I when I was back there, and I actually got in the first team uh, for a few games uh, when I was back there. But then uh, I uh, the, the Timbers bought my contract. And so probably okay. around about February of that year, the Timbers were still... Uh, interested in me obviously at that time because I had a decent first season and at that time I was kind of still hadn't established myself in the first team at Bristol City and so it was to me it was a good opportunity to come over to the US and to Portland Timbers because I enjoyed myself here uh, there was it was a good soccer standard uh, at that time and I I thought it was the right step at that time for me to come over here. So then they bought my contract and then I came over here to play uh, full-time with uh, Portland Timbers in 1979. So I, I tried to look, uh, find as much as I could about your time in Bristol and Brentford. Uh, something I found yeah. out is that you were a, you were a PK specialist. Like you, you took a lot of penalties and made a lot of penalties. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of interesting when I when I I didn't take any PKs for Bristol City or Brentford, <laughs> but I uh-huh. I when I was younger, uh, there was uh, I all the teams I played for, whether it was the reserve teams, I took PKs for the Timbers as well, uh, but uh, I was pretty good at taking penalty kicks, and so I I the, I was always given that task of taking penalty kicks. In these days, you didn't really have a lot of penalty kicks, to be honest with you, not like they're throwing them around now. I would say that I would probably get two or three a season. Um, but uh, but I was I took penalty kicks, and I was very comfortable taking them. So, so yeah. It's, okay, so you come over here, and you, you're playing for the Timbers. You're playing on generously turf, right? That's a nice yeah. thing to call yeah. it. Um, and the fields, a lot of the fields are, are in the league at that time were, you know, narrow, uh, dirt, turf, uh, different things. What was it like coming over to the to the U.S. and starting to play on fields like that? Yeah, I mean, th- with the turf, I mean, obviously we played all our home games at, at, at that time, Civic Stadium on the turf, and uh, the field was very hard, Uh it actually suited me playing on turf. I mean, I think if you were, you know, I was, per, I had a good first touch and was pretty technical. And so playing on turf actually, I think, was an advantage for me, especially on that hard turf because the ball would be bouncing around, especially when it was uh, really hot weather and the and ground was hard. So 
playing on turf actually was uh, was a good thing uh, for me. But obviously, grass is better to play on. But for me, it was it was a good. It wasn't a bad thing for me to play on. But it just definitely is not the same as playing on grass. And uh, at that time, especially now, the turf is so much better. When you go to see a Timbers right. game now, the turf is soft. But at that time, it was very hard. And if you fell on it, you'd scrape your knees or you'd scrape your 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 elbows. It was it was really you get really bad rug burns and that stuff. Uh, uh-huh. But it was you know we just you just adapt. You just play on what whatever that you, you have, you know. And uh, that's what we did. Uh, so. Right. Speaking of adapting, when you when you came over here, you also had. Uh, they had the 35-yard line, which wasn't just used for shootouts, but it was, yeah. for those that may not know, an offside line. So uh, somebody, you know, it was meant to help score goals. So somebody could be past the half line and still offside no matter where they were, no matter how many people yeah. were between them and the goal. So it was meant to expand the field. Was that a, a – I know it was harder probably for defenders to cover more space, but what about for a midfielder? Yeah, I think what it did was obviously – they had that rule at least in, for until maybe I think in the early eighties they changed it to the the regular rule, but uh, it made the game more spit spread out and uh, it was definitely a lot more space in midfield uh, and probably a little bit more running because of the space uh, and it, it did change the game quite a bit. So I think for the technical players or the really good players, the forwards. I think it gave maybe a little bit more advantage to, uh, and probably created more opportunities for teams to score more goals with because there was so much space to play, you know. So, and I, I mean, as, as I said, you just adapt to the rules. Uh, I, I like the current rules, you know, with halfway line. But uh, for that period of time right. when we played it, it was there was there was more space, and it was for for players that were pretty fit. Uh, and could run pretty hard, it, it was actually an advantage. So it, it kind of helped me a little bit with my game, I felt, when I played outdoors. Yeah. So so your first Timber season, your first goal, like I mentioned in the introduction, came against Rochester. Uh, yeah. It was a while ago, but do, do you remember anything about that goal? You know, I don't really remember uh, much about the goal, Uh I, I do remember some goals that I scored, uh, but I just mm-hmm. don't remember that one. I do remember in that game that I, I had a good game, and it was obviously nice to score a goal because I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really considered... I was considered more of a playmaker when I was back in England and even when I first came over here, even that first year. Uh, and it was, it was nice to get a goal uh, in that game. And uh, I, I think I... I remember I had a good game that game, uh, but I, I just can't, I don't remember the goal in that one. Right. So do you, what about later that season, the last regular season game, uh, you scored the first hat trick in Timbers history? Yeah. 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 I remember that one. And so I, I, uh, yeah, it was very fortunate. I scored a hat trick. One was a PK. <laughs> one was actually uh, a cross that went in. And the other one, I, I'm not sure how the other one went in. I think it was just a regular goal where I was maybe inside the box. But uh, I, I do remember uh, scoring that hat trick in the last game of the season. We were getting ready for the playoffs, and I, I, you know, as I said, it was, it was just good for me to get, uh, you know, to get a go another couple of goals. And I think that gave me a lot of confidence, especially since we're moving into the playoffs after that game because that was the last right. game of the season. 
Yeah, it was good. And in fact, he scored the game winner in sudden death overtime the very next game in the playoffs against the Washington Diplomats. Yeah, and that was such that was a a good. Uh, I remember that. I remember that game, and it was interesting because I mentioned uh, I came over with uh, my roommate Brian McNeil, and we both were from Bristol City, and and Brian uh, was a defender, and in that game, uh, Brian actually scored, and we were one zero up in the game, and uh, yeah. with about fifteen seconds to go. Uh, we were a little bit under pressure and I think I was in the last third of the field and I miscleared a ball and they went and scored. And so it went to overtime and then uh, in overtime I scored the, the game winner and because at that time it was sudden death overtime and then I scored the game winner in overtime. So for me it was more of a relief getting that goal after I'd given the, <laughs> them a goal with about 15 seconds to go. And uh, uh-huh. the other thing that was crazy about that was, you know, my roommate, it was, a, it was his first goal that he'd ever scored uh, with the Timbers. And and he really would have got all the credit if uh, if we'd have won the game 1-0. But I ended up getting a lot of credit for getting the goal in, in overtime. And so it was kind of like an awkward situation, yeah. to be honest with you. So, yeah, but it, it was good that, it it some... was good that we, we won that game. Yeah, I think an interesting footnote to that, too, is, um, during most of that game, the opposing goalkeeper was Bill Irwin, uh, but he was subbed out yeah. by that point because they went to a more attacking formation. They brought on an international player up front, so they had to have another American on field, so they put their backup keeper, I think Bob Stetler, I think the name is, in goal and yeah. took Bill Irwin out. And, uh, yeah, and, and they had, you know, when we first started playing in the 78, there was a rule where you had to have at least two American players on the field, and... uh Obviously, you have to kind of manage the game as well as you can to do that. At that time, there wasn't as many really good American players, although there were some good players. Uh, and so, yeah, you had, yeah, they had to manage a squad like that. But I, I didn't recognise that 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 happened in the game that Bill had t- taken off. I mean, I, my memory doesn't serve me with that, but that was that was interesting that Bill played for them. I played I played with Bill in uh, San Jose as well. You know. Uh, later in my career, so <laughs> and obviously with the Timbers, so that's that's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Um, Clive Charles' yeah. first assist was against Bill. <laughs> back uh, no, it, way it's back. Kinda, um, so. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how how it all kind of goes. I mean, the other time I I actually scored one other hat trick, and I think to me this was kind of an interesting situation. It was against Vancouver Whitecaps. And it was at home, and I remember that hat trick a lot clearer uh, because obviously it was at home, and and it was a better hat trick. I, I I scored a couple of good goals in that game, and uh, but Bruce Grobler was the Bruce Grobler was the the keeper for the Vancouver Whitecaps, and Bruce Grobler then went back and played for Liverpool and won European Cups, and uh, and uh, but he was a keeper in that game, so that kind of was an interesting situation where I was very fortunate to get some goals against him. And in that same game, seemingly, he got taken off and a guy called David Harvey went in goals. And so I scored the first two against Bruce. And David Harvey was a Scottish national team keeper. And then I scored the third, my third goal when he was in goals. So that just shows you the caliber of kind of goalkeepers or players that were actually over here at the time that, you know, Bruce Grobler went back and, and played for Liverpool 
and David Harvey was a Scottish national team keeper. So it was kind of interesting, yeah. you know. So yeah, now that you've said that, I want to jump ahead a little, and we can move things around from the questions we talked yeah. about earlier. Is so so yeah, looking back and having played in, in what I think are very distinct eras in this country. I mean, you've played in, like I said at the start, three different decades, but also different kinds of leagues, indoor outdoor. What was yeah. the type of play and player like in the NASL in the seventies and eighties? Well, the the seventies and eighties, especially this, when I first came over, and I know that, and when Willie Anderson and a lot of the guys came over in seventy five through when I came, it was you know it was a new game to people. So a lot of the fans they didn't really understand the game, and they were just getting to know it, and were trying to grow the game in in the US. And so I think there was a lot of and good good energy, positive energy. I mean, there's a lot of fun involved in it and a lot of enjoyment. It wasn't like, uh, I mean, obviously you wanted to win the games and you wanted to do your best in every game like you would do, whether it's a professional game or just a, a local amateur game. But it was but it was more kind of promoting the game and everybody pushing themselves. And it was a lot of fun. And so I think... Uh, it was, you know, the atmosphere was great. The players really enjoyed it. I think the fans could relate to that. Uh, there was, uh, you know, as I said before, it was new to uh, the American players. And so the American players were coming in to the game. And I, I really think it helped the American players because playing with players that were, you know, from other countries, especially Europe, you know, there was players from South America as well. Uh, I think it really helped elevate the players' games that were able to play with some of these guys. And for me, it was exciting because I got to play with some fantastic players that were very experienced, the Jimmy Conways, the Clive Charleses, uh, you know, and, and Willie Donickeys and a lot of fantastic players and play against some of, some of them as well. So it was just a really good atmosphere and a really positive vibe about the, the league especially in the 70s when it was growing you know and so mm -hmm. I was to me it was really enjoyable to play and I think a lot of times when you play the game and obviously you're a professional soccer player and you think we should be enjoying this all the time but it's not always like that you know sometimes it's a I mean sometimes you go through a lot of kind of mental you know it's, it's tough sometimes when you're not getting playing time and different things for me, it was a breath of fresh air because I was getting to play. I was enjoying playing. I was playing with some really good professionals that really helped me improve my game. And it was just a great atmosphere to play soccer in the United States at that time. Yeah, you know, I'm hesitant to draw parallels or connections between anything going on now and in the 70s. But there's also, you know, I mean, Messi's here and it seems to be he's enjoying himself as a person playing the game, spreading the game at a you know, it's a different way, but also when you talked about some of the players you played with and against, um, I saw a photo of the team lining up before the last game of, I think it was 1979, and you're out there, Clyde Best is out there, Brian Gant, yeah. and you're about yeah. to play um, Johan Cruyff. You yeah. played the Aztecs, I think, at that time, and that's also a team that at some point had George Best. Yeah, I mean, you had, I mean, I mean, interestingly, I, I've seen a, a uh, FIFA came out with the top 50 ever players that played the game ever. And uh, in the top 25, I played against seven of them. And five of them I played when they played in the NSL. 
and uh, uh, Johan Cruyff, when he came over, was only 30, 31. And uh, Franz Beckenbauer, George Best, uh, there were some incredible players that played over here. Gert Müller. I mean, you could go on with how many quality players were there. I mean, people don't realize it, but we had a guy called Robbie Rensenbrink. Uh, yes. Who played with us in 1980. And in 1978, for Holland, he was, Holland got beat in the finals against Argentina in Argentina that year in the World Cup. And he was the second top goal scorer in the World Cup that year. And two years later, he played for the Timbers. So there was some quality. Uh, obviously, there was also, you know, as I said, there, it was also a balance because we were trying to promote the game and, and the younger American players that came in the game. And there were some, for the American players and for me, being a young player, playing with and against some of these players, I think it really elevated players' performance. I mean, I remember when I first watched, for example, Rick Davis playing, and I, he was at that time he was one of the best young Americans, and he played for the Cosmos. And when I first seen him playing, I thought he was a good player. But then two years later, he was fantastic. And I think part of the reason he was, he was playing with Franz Beckenbauer, Giorgio Chinaglia, playing against all these international. Cosmos used to play a lot of games against Barcelona in different uh, international friendlies and tournaments and. And playing against these the, and getting the opportunity to play, I think really elevated a lot of the young Americans that were in the league. And uh, so I think the league at that point was more of a, a mixture. There was a lot of players that were getting to the end of their careers, but you had players, like I'd mentioned before, like a Bruce Grobler, you know, Peter Withers, Peter Withers, for example, he played for the Timbers in 75. He went back and won the European Cup. And which is now the Champions League, and he played for England. And so you had all this combination of kind of players at different times in their careers and uh, all with the goal to kind of try to help the NHL and soccer kind of grow in the U.S. And so the standard of the league was kind of, was, was, was pretty good. And some, I, I mean, it was, there was, uh, I, I kind of try kind of emphasize how, how good some of the teams and some of the play was, but the, it was still in its infant stages. And, uh, you know, I think part of the things that happened is, you know, you only played like 28 games, so you only had a five-month season, and there was a big turnover yearly with teams and with clubs, and it was just unfortunate that it didn't really grow, uh, you know, to where it could have been, you know? Yeah, and so that's something also that um... – kind of segues mm-hmm. into what happened in 1983. 1982, the Timbers fold. There's no longer a franchise here. Yeah. But you're still pretty young, and you, like a lot of other guys, have to still find a place to play. This is your profession. You end up playing a season for the Seattle Sounders, right? Yeah. I mean, what happened was, I mean, when I first came over, there were 32 teams in the NHL, and uh, it was really growing. It was just everything looked like it was going to come together. Uh, by 82, it was down to 12, maybe 12 teams. So, you know, there's a lot of teams folding. And, uh, you know, there were some teams, for example, like you had the Cosmos or Seattle Sounders or Vancouver Whitecaps who were getting – Vancouver and Seattle were getting maybe twenty-five, thirty thousand 30,000 people at the games. The Cosmos were getting more than that. 
But then you had other clubs where you went to Detroit, for example, or Houston, they'd maybe get 5,000 people in a 100,000-seat stadium, you know? So it was, there was just a, there was just, it grew too quickly, to be honest with you. There was too many franchises. I think, I think that um, MLS has kind of learned from that and they've grown the correct way, but then SL just grew too quickly. And so, so in the, in that time, in the late 70s, it was really going. But by the time it got to 1981, 82, you could tell that teams were folding. There wasn't a TV contract. And the kind of atmosphere kind of changed a little bit because, obviously, uh, the game wasn't growing like everybody thought it was going to go. And so uh, the Timbers folded uh, in 82. And then I, at that time, I got uh, moved to Seattle uh, because obviously they were they wanted me uh, they drafted me uh, at, at that time and so I moved to Seattle and then I was at Seattle for the one season and then they folded you know so it was just at that time where it was just a tough time to play and when I played for the Timbers I, I left the Timbers when I was 26 so it was I was still young but I was still looking to play so I just wanted to continue to play I loved America at that time I really didn't really consider going back to England at that time or Scotland because I was married and had kids and I loved the game over here and wanted to kind of make an impact in America because I was pretty successful. So I wanted to try to make it work over here. So I went to Seattle. I had one year at Seattle and uh, really didn't play that well for Seattle. (laughs) I had a, a tough time there. I had a hamstring injury at the start of the season and probably it was my tourist season uh, that I had. Really didn't get going, and uh, struggled with 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 the hamstring, and uh, just had a tough time there. But then they folded after the one year, you know, and then I had to move right. again. And then you go to Minnesota, uh, right? Yeah. Well, good. Well, well, what happened was I I went to. Uh, after they folded, uh, I went to play indoors at San Jose, the earthquakes, right. thinking that the earthquakes, so I went to the earthquakes and uh, played indoors, a season indoors with the San Jose earthquakes. It was called the Golden Bay Earthquakes at the time. And then I actually from there got traded to Minnesota. And so I moved from the earthquakes to Minnesota. And then I was at Minnesota obviously, uh, and was able to play outdoors there for the Minnesota Kicks. The Strikers, sorry. Minnesota Strikers. Right. And so so this is interesting. And it's kind of, I mean, I'm gonna, I'll come back to a couple of questions I had, but I want yeah. to stay with this because indoor soccer in this country started with, there was the MISL, but also the NASL started their own league. And these are contracts that at first were both the indoor and outdoor team, right? The franchise would own a team. Like your first yeah. indoor team was the Portland Timbers. Yeah, I mean, what happened was uh, because the league was only five months, I think what happened was there was another indoor professional league that was pretty good uh, and it was played mostly in the East Coast. So, And players were, were contracted over a calendar year. So to kind of try to make it work, uh, the NHL decided, well, we're going to play a, a short indoor season. And so the NHL, you know, the, so what we do is we play an outdoor season and an indoor season. And so 
the Timbers, we played um, at that time, you know, as I said, we played indoors and it was maybe a, maybe a 12 or 16 game season. And so the NSL teams would play an, in, an, an indoor season and uh, for three months in, in the winter. And then they'd play, move right to outdoors after the season finished. So that was probably one of the reasons. We're just trying to find out if we could, how that would go because of, there was an indoor league as well. And so, and I really enjoyed the indoors and uh, and it was, you know, we, we played it obviously at the Rose Garden initially and, uh, no, the Coliseum, sorry, the Rose Garden. Coliseum, later. right. And the Coliseum, yeah. And it was good. I mean, we, we got reasonable amount of fans there. It was a fun game, but we were just doing it to take over to play, uh, to play outdoor soccer. Uh, you know, obviously when the, outdoor season started and so that's how it initially started and once again with indoors uh it was a good game uh the the, the players loved it and uh it was fun to play but it was just a different kind of game mm-hmm. and so so kind of going from the nasl early days of indoor soccer in this country through the misl which had a really big presence in the yeah. early 80s um and then even to the cisl and um any yeah. other, you know, I mean, there, there were a lot of different indoor yeah. leagues, WISL, yeah. et cetera. What was it like when, I don't, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like in the uh, early days there might have been, you know, a sense of, you know, yeah, we're professionals, we're doing this before the outdoor season yeah. in between, but later it became a viable career choice when it was either it the only option or people could be see themselves as professional indoor players. Yeah. So what happened was when I went to Minnesota Strikers, and we played our outdoor season, and then we played an indoor season. The outdoor game folded, and so by 1984, it was really tough because there was no professional outdoor soccer league. The, 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 the game folded, but there was franchises like Minnesota uh, Strikers, and uh, that really were still interested. And we had played indoor soccer there as well, and were pretty successful. And then the leagues, the the two leagues, the MLS, the Major Indoor League, and the NESL kind of combined the leagues. And so you had one fantastic league out there that all the teams played in. And so from 1984 until 1989, or really until the, I mean, there was other leagues, and really until the MLS came, the only option you had if you were a soccer player to play and make a living out was playing indoors. And mm-hmm. so that indoor league expanded. Instead of just playing for three months, it was like a 48-game a season. It was almost like a hockey league, you know, where you played at the same times as them. And I then uh, had a career decision to make. Uh, what am I going to do? And uh, I loved playing indoors. It was a great game. Uh and at that point, I was, as I said, I was in the Midwest. I was at Minnesota, and I, uh, I was maybe 28, 29 at that time. So I was definitely, probably not in the position to go back to, to Europe to play, uh, since I was gone for like so long. And so I decided to just, just play in, play indoor soccer, and, uh, and I played indoor soccer until. I came back to Portland in 1989-90 and I played all over the Midwest. I played for Minnesota and then I went to Kansas City and St. Louis 
and I played for about four or five years indoor soccer where you had probably about 48-game season and then playoffs could be anywhere from about 15 to 20 games because it was, uh, you know, it was, you know, you know, you'd play, you know, best of five games in the, in the playoffs, you know, because that's what you could do with indoors because of the, the way the game was structured. And it was and it was fantastic. The, the standard of the game was pretty good. All the U.S. national players were all playing in the league because there was no outdoor league for them to play in. And so it was it was just a, a, a really quality league, for, but it wasn't outdoors. You know, it was just an right. indoor league where everybody's really just were trying to make a living and trying to continue to kind of grow the sport, so to speak, in the country, you know. And so mm-hmm. I was fortunate I was able to play uh, until um, I, after I left Minnesota, I went to St. Louis, Kansas City, then St. Louis. And when I was in St. Louis in 1989, uh, the team folded. And so I kind of decided, you know, with all the changing of everything and the leak at that point wasn't questionable how, how it was going, uh, I I. Came, I got a U-Haul and came back to Portland. <laughs> and then you ended up with the Tacoma Stars as well. Right? Yeah, and then what happened was I, I when I was back here, I, I played, uh, I, I came back here and I wasn't going to play. I was just going to come back here and, and revamp, you know, just work for a living, do whatever. Uh, and then I was fortunate that I got a call from the Tacoma Stars and I kind of commuted and played for the Tacoma Stars for for a, a four-month period before the uh, the Timbers uh, started up the, with the, in the American, you know, and the uh, WSL, you know, in 1989. Yeah. So, uh, right, and I'm going to get to that because that was an interesting time as well. Um, yeah. I want to stick with, with Indoor a second and just kind of ask as a player, and you had a, you know, you explained your sort of circumstances and how it became a conscious decision. I'm going to, I'm going to stay here and I'm, this is what I'm going to do is indoor soccer. How is that different for a player to like, how is being a professional and how is the game different um, with indoor than it is outdoor? Because it is a different style altogether. Yeah. It's a, it's a different style. And I, I don't think it gets a, a, a respect it really warrants. Uh, and, but it's a fantastic game, especially when you're at the professional level uh i would say that it helped me uh a lot of people would say well indoors you're kicking the ball against the wall there's different things going on but to me it really it can really help your decision making uh you know mm-hmm. your tight control you know it's a fast break kind of game so you have a lot of opportunities to have 3v2s or 2v1s in the game and there's a lot of strategy probably a, a lot more strategy than people realize that, you know, that, that goes into the indoor game. And uh, I think it really helped me to understand the game more, you know. Uh, I wish in some ways I was able to go back to outdoor soccer after playing that and, you know, and be able to kind of put it more to the test how much it would have improved me as a soccer player. But I think it, it, it you know, if, if it can help you as a soccer player because, of these decisions, you know, when you're fast breaking or two v one situations that you have, 
and definitely improves your first touch. But the 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 other part of that is it's a different kind of fitness in outdoor soccer, and the outdoor soccer is a bigger field, and it's not on turf, and so there's a lot of kind of contradictions to that. But but it really, if you took the game seriously both ways, I think it can really complement your game if you. Uh, you know, the indoor soccer game can definitely help you with with things like you know your decision making and and your touch in tight areas. You know, definitely can help you. I got to be honest, I liked it because as a defender, I could still get involved in the offense a little more immediately. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You know, everybody's involved. I mean, in in offense and defense, and the pace of the game is so fast. I mean, as you know, since you played uh, played it as well, is even though it sounds crazy, you're on the field for two minutes and you're off because you're kind of changing on the fly a little bit like hockey. And it sounds like, well, why did you only play a minute and a half, two minutes and come off? But the pace of the game, because of the fast break and the, the it is, is so fast at times, you know, that it's mm-hmm. it just really is a, a different kind of, it's almost like you're sprinting the whole time when you're out there. And, and it's yeah. it was just, Definitely different, definitely different fitness, different feel. I I really liked the game. I loved the game, uh, and uh, as I said, I I always support it. I I know that there's other options right now, and futsal is a fantastic game as well. And a lot of people love futsal, but I always advocate for. Well, I wish indoor soccer was, and there's still a lot of indoor soccer facilities around, and and there is a league for indoor soccer as well. But I just don't think indoor soccer has got the credit and the and the uh, that it really has because it, it is a good game and it can help the younger kids and players become better, especially if you're, you know, with with the things I'm talking about with the tight areas and getting involved and getting more shots in and and all these kind of yeah. things. It's just just a good game. It's a great game. What's interesting also is a lot of times you're in a shift with, with you basically have a partner. Right, so uh, you're oh, yeah. just a, two or, a group of two or three, and what I really learned a lot from is just how to, you know, you're working with someone else as a professional doing the same thing you are, and so in that relationship in a game, there's just so much to learn that's more intimate than say an eleven the eleven. Not that it's wrong uh, playing full sided, but it was just an interesting different experience. Yeah, no, it was, and then even as you said, you've got a partner out there, whether it's two people or three people that are changing, and even when you're off the field, you've you've got to you've got to have your full attention because your partner might only be on for thirty seconds and be off. You know what I mean? So, uh, so you you're involved even if you're off the field. You're you're totally involved, watching the partner and watching the team and and however the game goes. But it was yes, it's uh, it was a. Uh, it was really enjoyable for me to play in, in indoor soccer, but obviously, uh, kind of, you know, you always look back and you wish you were able to play. I wish I was able to play the outdoor game, the game that obviously that we all love uh, more. But at the time in the the history of American soccer or U.S. soccer, that's where we were at that time, and it just didn't develop the, the way that people really wanted it to professionally anyway. Right. This is, so this is a good natural transition to what else I want to talk about is, um, and we both kind of experienced, I played for a lot of teams in their last season. <laughs> it's kind of a weird yeah. thing, but uh, you were still playing in that, that period before the, before major league soccer and in Portland specifically, 
there was this um, Art Dixon owned the timbers for some of this. Yeah. And there's the WSL, APSL, ASL timbers, uh, late yeah. 80s, early 90s. And, you know, you're on the field, Brent, Brent Goulet, Scott Benedetti, Casey Keller. What was that period like? Because I don't think a lot of people really understand it. And I also think it's a very essential period for um, how much soccer is important in this city today. Yeah, yeah. So in 1989, uh, that's when I just came back in town. Uh, I, you know, Art Dixon started the WPSL, which was a, a an amateur league, and and it was more for uh, the there wasn't I don't believe there was pay that that first year anyway. It wasn't a paid league, and Art with along with Clive Charles, uh, Clive really helped a lot, uh, and Bill Irwin uh, to get the franchise going. It used to be. Art was involved with FC Portland and then uh, changed, you know, started uh, the Portland uh, Timbers and got the franchise name back. And uh, Clive was at University of Portland at the time, so he couldn't coach the team. And so I was mm-hmm. going to come in and be as assistant coach for Bill Irwin. Uh, and Bill was Clive's assistant. And so, but it ended up that Bill couldn't coach the team either because of rules, NCAA rules. So I ended up the art when I came back, instead of being assistant, they made me the, the player coach, the head coach, because Bill couldn't do it. So I was kind of uh, in a situation where I came back uh, to play. I hadn't played outdoor soccer for five years, <laughs> just playing indoors, uh, and yeah. be player coach of the team. And so, uh, and at that time, uh, UP had a good team. Uh, there was a lot of good college soccer players around and our team at that point our Portland Timbers team was you could have five five players from uh from uh a col a college and the top college at the time was was uh was obviously uh University of Portland so Casey Keller was in goals. So Casey was a yeah. goalkeeper. And then we had some great players, Robbie Batch played, uh we had uh other players playing from uh from you know, from other, you know, Jeff Enquist played, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and we had uh, we had some great local players that that Nomicon played, who was at Port, uh, you know, Portland State, and with some really good uh, local players. And so our team was basically made up of basically University of Portland players, uh, Oregon State players, and uh, just local amateur players uh, in the league, but they were all very good. And I was the player coach of the team. And uh, the league at that time, uh, you know, was a Western soccer league. But there was players like Marcel Balboa played with San Diego, uh, Dominic Kinnear, uh, and uh, Eric Winalda played at San Francisco. So it was a really good league. I mean, all the all Troy the Dyack. all the Troy Dyack played. He was a young player. Troy Dyack played. All the young players played in that league and so it was a really good uh, league for uh, for us to play in so we played at the Civic Stadium and we're getting about four four three or four thousand people at our games a couple of games we got more than that and it was a great opportunity uh, for the for the players uh, you know to play and then go back to college afterwards but it was also the start of us building the you know the Art Dixon obviously was was trying to build a, a, the Portland Timbers franchise back up again. And so mm-hmm. that first year when we coached, uh, 
Casey was in goals and he was amazing. And uh, we, we had a really good year. We, we, I think we, we got to the semi-finals of the of the league uh, of the league that year. And uh, and Casey was a huge part of that. Scott Benedetti played up front, uh, and so it was just a good. Uh, it was great for the kids to play. And I was player coach that year, and it was it was. I was kind of still not that old. I was probably maybe thirty, my early thirties, you know. And so mm-hmm. it was great for me to go in and maybe have a little bit more experience than the other players because they were all younger. But then it was it was just a good mix, and it was a to me it was a nice kind of role uh, being on the field and maybe being a, a team leader on the field. Uh, I had Dave Nicholas, who was a Jesuit high school coach at the time, was my assistant coach. And he would coach the team from the bench, and I would be basically the, the coach on the field. And how how is it a little different? Yeah, because you're the coach on the field, but also you were player coach for a while with the Portland Pride indoors. Yeah, um, yeah. Which also yeah, is a different so, sort of flow to the game. Yeah, it was different. I mean, I I think that you have. I mean, you just separate it. I mean, when I was when I was a coach for the Timbers, I mean, obviously there wasn't the staff you have now and with uh, with with professional soccer or even college soccer when you look at it, when I would go on the road with that team, uh, we would play, you'd have to play on, say, a Friday and Saturday because of budget, so you'd play back-to-back games. And then in between games, I, I would, sometimes I would go with Dave, sometimes I would have to go myself because of the budget. Uh, I would do the laundry between games. So I was coaching the team, uh, doing the doing the all, when I say the laundry the, the uniforms, <laughs> yeah. team uniform washing the laundry on the roads, getting ready for the next game the same the next night we play play another team because as I said the budget because uh, was was very limited and you would just do what you needed to do to kind of make it work and uh, and but at the same time you wanted still to try to give the the players. A, as much of a professional environment as they had, they could, but it was, um, but at the end of the day, it was a, it was a good good starting block for the team. That first year, it was the, it was the WSL, but then it became a professional league the next year when it was the American Professional Soccer League, and so it kind of transitioned into a, a paying league, so the players would get paid. And that's a, I mean that's. I think a huge runway getting people to the the 1990 World Cup. I mean that that was a big oh. turning point, as was the 94 World Cup for this country. And yeah. To to think that, I mean, I'm I'm someone who draws lines between here's, I'm I'm going to say this and you're going to hate me saying it, but here's an NASL legend. Here's someone who came over and and really is known for as a player contra- contributions to the NASL, driving the van, running the team, you know, doing. I mean, that was everybody. Whoever could contribute did it for the sake of giving the next generation a professional um, experience and doing right by the game. And, um, you know, it's just a, yeah. it's such an important period when there wasn't, uh, you know, an established national league, but now there is. Yeah, there wasn't, it wasn't a national league. And I think people like Art Dixon and obviously Clive and, and Bernie and Brian and William, all these guys are all kind of wanting, I mean, they still want the game to grow and be as best they can. But at that time, it was just you just you play the game because you love it and you want 
to do the best you can to make the game grow or to make things go in. And for us, for these players that were all playing in college, this was a great opportunity. I mean, when they were playing against San Francisco and you have Dominic Kinnear, Eric Wijnalda, Troy Dyack, all national team players all playing for them. And we have a local team with, uh, you know, five UP players. And obviously we had Casey and Scott who ended up being fantastic professionals as well. Uh, it was just a it was just a good stepping stone for a lot of the the players to get recognised and how good they were and move on with their careers, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is <clears throat> excuse me. You mentioned I want to ask one more question about your last year with the I think it was your last year with the Pride. It may not have been, but I remember yeah. in 1993 when I was a freshman at Pacific. Jeff Anquist, too, you mentioned played for that Timbers team in the yeah. right. He was my coach, and he gave us – he wanted us to not have training and go watch a team we were supposed to play. They were playing, I think, Warner Pacific, who was another great team mm-hmm. in that era. Yeah, and oh, yeah. me and a couple other guys, instead of watching the team we were going to play, we came and saw a Portland Pride indoor um, playoff game. And uh, we got an earful for that. But what I remember about that game is it was one of the last playoff games that Pride played, and you chipped the keeper from, from the bench pretty much, just right at the midline. I don't know if you remember that goal or not. I remember. <laughs> you did? I remember the goal. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, we were playing San Diego and uh, and and playing with the Pride. And just once again with the Portland Pride, I, uh, you know, I the Portland Pride, uh, Brian Parrott put that together because Art with the Timbers, even though he was for two years, and the Timbers did a great job in the and and on the on you know with fans and everything. I mean, he lost. Even that first year, just having the team without paying any players, he lost a lot of money, and there was not any mm-hmm. real sponsorships and backing. So uh, the, 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 timber, the Timbers folded after that second year, even though the team on the field had been pretty successful, and we had a lot of good good players that came through. That the, after '91, the first APSL season, I think we went 10 and 10 that year, and uh, we lost uh, to Colorado. And if we'd have won in overtime, we'd have got to the playoffs. But we won in PKs, and the point system didn't allow us to get through. But uh, that we folded that year because even though it was professional, our budget was fifty thousand dollars. And then other teams like uh, the San Jose Blackhawks in Colorado, who had players from all over the place, uh, their budget was maybe about quarter of a million which doesn't seem like a lot these days, but at that time, I mean, our players were getting paid $75 a game or the top player was going to be getting paid uh, $2,000, you know? And so we, uh, but that league, that league folded. And then, uh, and then obviously uh, from there, Brian Parrott started an indoor, uh, professional indoor league uh, called the, you know, as you said, that that you were involved in as well. And so I was asked to be the player coach of that team. And so uh, I was at University of Portland at the time. And so I let let Clive know. And he says, yeah, go ahead. That's a great opportunity for you. And he knew Brian Parrott as well. And so I went and played indoors uh, with the Portland Pride. And it was only the first year in 1993 that I was the player coach. After the first year, they kind of banned player coaches. They kind of wanted to make That's it right. more professional. And so I was only allowed to play the first year. And so I would have probably been able to play more. 
uh, other years, but I, but after that first year, I couldn't play anymore. But in that game, what you were talking about, it's kind of funny because Ron Newman, who is basically San Diego, is, is, is renowned as the best indoor team ever. But Ron was on the other bench, and when I when I scored that chip from from like past halfway, he went, "You didn't mean that, pain. You didn't mean that." <laughs> and he was right. You know, you know what I'm saying? I, I just was chipping the ball into the corner and it happened to just chip in the goal. But I didn't tell him that. But I just, but oh, I, of course. I, I, that ended up being a beautiful goal, but I, I didn't mean to score from there. I didn't mean to look up and chip the keeper. I just was looking to, you know, like get it into that area because it was, I think I was maybe the sixth attacker. I'm not exactly sure what happened. And I just uh, wanted to get it in the other area because it was very limited, limited time left. But I didn't mean to score that goal. But it was a hell of a goal when <laughs> when you look at it. Absolutely. On yeah. gone, you didn't mean that thing. So, but we beat them. That so was good. So. That's great. Some Another memory as we transition to talking about your coaching and how much you've shared the game with, I mean, a lot of people. Uh, but you mentioned you were coaching at the University of Portland and you actually got put in Clive put you in charge of the women's team against Oregon State. Uh, yeah. I don't know yeah, if you remember I, that game as an away game. Yeah, I remember it. I, I remember that so much, so much. And so so what happened was uh, I went, I, I was with Clive uh, for one year at University of Portland and great experience. And I was kind of like an assistant coach, Bill and Garrett, uh, Garrett Smith and Bill were on his staff as well. And uh but basically what happened was when the boys and girls had a conflict that year, Clive would have me go with the girls and say, You can take the team. And so I actually took the team uh we played Gonzaga and I, I took the team one time at Gonzaga when there was a conflict with the men's and the women's programs. And then the other time that Clive asked me to take the team was down at Oregon State. And so what what happened was we're playing Oregon State on the Wednesday afternoon, and at that time uh, Oregon State played under kind of just the regular fields, the grass fields, intramural fields because they didn't really have a stadium at that time. You know, there wasn't all the colleges, Division One colleges didn't have stadiums. A lot of them just had fields that they played in. So we played on the intramural field, and the the men didn't have a game that day. But the men were going to play Washington on the Saturday. And at that time, UAP was, with the men, were, were very good, as were the women. Uh, and UAP were, uh, I think we were right number one with the men and maybe two with the women at that time. So it was a really great time for UAP at that time with how, how strong the teams were. And so Clive said to me, hey, why don't you take the girls down and take them for this game? He says, I'm going to concentrate on the boys and you and Garrett can take them down. So me and Garrett took the girls down to Oregon State. And I remember the game was on a Wednesday afternoon. I, I, now this is a game I remember because <laughs> it was very stressful. And and it was it, it was one of these Oregon days that it never stopped raining. And so it was pouring. And so we got down to the field and we were in uh, just like a little dressing room and getting ready to go. And Oregon State, Steve Finn, I believe, was a coach then, was a good team. It wasn't like as good as us, and we were expected to beat them handily. Uh, but they were a good team, and they had had a couple of decent results that year. And 
to cut a long story short, they came out and absolutely kicked their butts the first half. And they just physically outmanned us. And obviously it was a pouring down. The field was a bit soggy and it was just a terrible conditions to play. Not any excuse, but it just was, it didn't suit us. And uh, we're 3-1 down at halftime. So, uh, yeah. And so I'm going, Mike, and we... <laughs> We're going to, just, I was just imagining in the back of my head, well, I just don't want to see Clyde tomorrow. I was losing to Oregon State, you know, and, and we're number one in the, or number two in the country and expected to win this game. So fortunately, we turned it around and won the game 4-3. But it was, uh, you know, it was like an inquisition after that game. So it was kind of interesting. Yeah. But that was probably, I always remember that game because I'm going, my gosh, I mean, it was like, you know, you know, one of these games that you never expect to go, but it's one of these kind of banana skin kind of games because you're playing in that a local rival that's really up for you to play. You, you're playing in certain conditions, and and it just was one of these games where we weren't ready to play. And uh, fortunately, the late, the girls turned it around and uh, were fantastic the second half, and we won the game. So that's kudos great. to them. It helps. <laughs> It helps to have Tiffany Milbert too, probably. Yeah, I mean Tiffany, and and that year when I was there, Tiffany was there. Shannon McMillan was her uh, first year playing, okay. so I was really fortunate that I was there when these two players were there, and they had some other really good players in that team as well. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was a, it was, it was a good, good ended up being a good win, but very stressful. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, so now, speaking of coaching, what's your role right now at your current club? So, uh, I'm with Westside Metros and uh, have been uh, operations director of operations for Westside. Uh, we, I, my kind of main role is kind of with, along with a couple of other people, is administration in the office, helping with that, uh, but more. We do tournaments. I kind of run a tournament called the Beaverton Cup. We also do a 4v4 tournament. We also do uh, uh, a showcase with other, with Eastside and and Columbia Premier, uh, where we do a a big college showcase in December. Uh, And then we have 60 teams in our club and plus a Metro's Academy. So it's just managing and organizing them and fields and all that kind of stuff. So I do, I kind of do a lot of the related stuff with fields and and helping with coaches. We have DOCs as well. So working, just working within the club and our club's growing and it's done, it's been doing pretty well. And so I I, kind of do all these things uh, during the day. And then I actually still coach. I coach two teams in the club right now as well. I coach a 2008 boys team, and I've actually coached a 2007 girls team. And I've just started coaching girls again. It's the first time I've coached them since I coached at UP. Uh, 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 last year, I started taking a girls team. So I'm coaching two girls teams right now. That's a lot. Yeah, but the thing with uh, with coaching is, I mean, because I when I coach, I, I coach, you know, on the same evening, so I go back to back with them, and uh, it's really enjoyable for me. I I don't, 
really do a lot of things away from. I mean, I've also got a family and kids that I, you know, I'm really involved with. And so I try to manage my time as well as I can. But it's actually, I love being out on the field and, you know, get walking around and moving around on the field and and just coaching right now. It's I'm at a different time in my coaching where I'm not looking to kind of advance anymore, so to speak. I do it because I love right. to do it and I like to be out there and... I, I really, I still have the same, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what team you have, whether you win or lose the game, you just want the kids to play as well as they can and and and, and get something out of it. And so I, I really enjoy being out on the field with them when I'm out there. So it's, it's, it is, it's sometimes pretty busy, but it keeps me active and I don't really play now. I've had two hip surgeries, so I can't really play. And so, but I, but it is good for me to get out there and for three three and a half hours, you know, twice a week, and then get out on the weekends and and coach the games. It's it's I I, I enjoy it. I love it. Yeah. That's fantastic. So I want to ask a few big picture questions. If you still have a few more minutes in your time with that. Yeah. Yeah. So what what does the landscape look like for a soccer player now? And you know, people have different goals and. It's, obviously yeah. different than it was a while ago, but for a kid wanting to play soccer in maybe high school or even college or even become a pro, what does it what does it sort of look like for them? So it's a kind of a confusing time right now, I think, and I'm, I'm hoping that it will all kind of sort itself out. I've always said that to grow up in Portland, it's a great place to be a soccer player because you've got the timbers, the thorns, you've got club soccer, you've got all that atmosphere, and it's uh, it's just a great soccer city. I think the landscape of youth soccer has really changed. I, you know, when, when you were playing, uh, used to be just the USSF, and uh, you'd play every, you know, you'd play Washington and. Uh, California teams and it would all be under one umbrella. Now there's so many different opportunities and sometimes that's good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a lot of great opportunities. You've got the ECNL, which is a really top league. You've got the MLS next. You've got the GA. You've got the EA. You've got the OISA. And so I think there's still really good opportunities, but it's just there's just so many different options that it sometimes can be confusing to parents and, and families because, you know, you're looking for what the best option is and it's not an easy choice. And so I would say that if there was something that could improve in youth soccer, even though there's a lot more opportunities right now, is if there's a way that they could kind of figure, we could figure out the best way to kind of bring everything together to make it easier to make choices and, and stuff like that. So it's just, uh, but there's definitely, uh, there's there's really good clubs in the area. All the clubs have got nice facilities that they practice in. There's a lot of good coaches uh, in, in the area as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, so there is opportunities for kids to get better. High school soccer is going on right now. Uh, I love high school soccer. I think high school soccer is great for the kids to get a different environment and and get something, you know, that camaraderie with, with their their teams. 
but I, I think with youth soccer, it's it's just there's so many different opportunities. It's sometimes, uh, you know, the it it can it, it's it's just more difficult sometimes to figure out where where you want players to go. But at the end right. of the day, no matter what leagues you play in, uh, there's the, the college opportunities are still there if you're strong enough and good enough and you're in a good program and you get the opportunity to be seen. Then, then there's there's definitely uh, opportunities for you to play in, in college. Nice. You, I'm glad you mentioned high school. I remember the first time I played in front of you was you were coaching at Park Rose High School. Um, yeah. Which is a school that's uh, the Mount Hood Conference has seen Jim Tersey, yeah. Clive Charles, yeah. yourself, and so many others. Yeah. But that was a game I circled because I was like, when I knew that you were coaching Park Rose, I was like, oh, I get to play in front of John Bay. I was so excited for that game. Yeah, well, Park Rose. Yeah, I, I, you know, I was really fortunate. I coached Park Rose. I think when I first came back, I coached at Park Rose, and obviously, Central Catholic was pretty strong, and and other cl- clubs were pretty strong at that time. And we, uh, we, we, we weren't as strong a program. But I loved coaching in high school, and and I, it, it was kind of interesting because I, I coached at Park Rose High School, and then I coached at Mountain View High School in Vancouver at the very same time. And I keep saying the story about coaching and, and philosophies and all that kind of stuff. And when I was at Park Rose High School, I remember uh, the most wins my team got, I, I coached there for two years, was, was four wins in a season. Uh, and at the same time, I coached at Mountain View High School and at, uh, in Vancouver, and that was in the spring. And uh, we won back-to-back state championships. And I got as much satisfaction losing 1-0 to Central Catholic or getting a tie with Park Rose as I did winning a state championship <laughs> with Mountain View. Because right. the thing about it is you can only get as much out of what the talent level you have. And uh, and to me, it was, uh, I, I enjoyed my time at Park Rose just as much as what I did with other teams because you just try to get the best out of, your team and what you've got and and go from there so yeah the park was <laughs> thanks for reminding me about that but park was was oh, yeah. you know whenever we played against the strong strong clubs then it was it was it was sometimes difficult for us in, in high school but it was great i loved high school soccer i actually coached uh the very first time i actually coached was when i was with the timbers i actually coached at rex putnam when i was 22 just one year when I was here in the fall in between indoor seasons and I coached at Rex Putnam uh, and the JV team for a year. And and that time, Rex Putman, and this is so crazy about soccer and you're talking about Clive and 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 you, you, everybody else that's coaching in uh, high school soccer, Brian Gant, Tony Betts all coached as well. But I remember uh, when I coached at Rex Putnam, uh, Ron Croft, our head coach at the time, he he couldn't coach uh, for a couple of weeks because he had uh, an illness, and so I had to take over the team. And so I uh, coached against Glenn Murnick at Tigard High School. And to oh, think geez. that Glenn Glenn Murnick coached and Clive Charles coached, and both were U.S. national team coaches, and they were coaching high school in the seventies in Portland. It's pretty crazy, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, so it was kind of you know it just shows you that like oh like everybody that's involved in soccer they 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 you know that's that was how obviously Clive started at Reynolds and 
and uh, Glenn started at uh, at Tigard High School, and then both went on to coach in the national team, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. So, amazing stuff. That's so. This is definitely something I think, a, and not all, but I think a 2023 Portland Timbers fan definitely appreciates what we have, but may not know just how much work and how many hours uh, in a car on a field, um, just spreading the game and making people, you know, better, um, better people through the sport of soccer, but just how much labor went into building the sport we have today. And it's not going anywhere. Major league soccer is going to be there. Do you, do you ever have moments when you just sort of look at major league soccer now in this country and think about like, you know, 1978, the NASL and all the, just how much stuff like that, how much, you know, how much labor and time and everything went into to that and just kind of try to put all of that into perspective and hopefully take some, some pride in the fact that you helped build that. Yeah. I mean, I, sometimes, yeah, occasionally you look, you look at, I mean, I, I'll sometimes look at, but look back and what's happened in the, the, the obviously with, with soccer and, and Oregon and, and just thinking, I mean, I think a lot of times, to be honest with you, uh, Billy, it's, the times when I think back is like when you've contacted me about doing this interview and you've contacted me a couple of times about articles or if I see one of the guys and we kind of chat about it or I see somebody from the past that maybe I've been involved with, whether I've coached or whether I've done that. I think that's the times when I kind of look back, you know, uh, mm-hmm. because it brings back the memories because sometimes you don't think too much about them. But these kind of things bring back some of the memories and and some of the things that y- you we talk about I wouldn't have even thought about if we we hadn't brought up in this interview or in past conversations. So I think these are the things that kind of make you recognize from the past. And then I do believe that uh, the Timbers in the past have done a good job of, uh, you know, like with their 40th anniversary and then a lot of times initially when the timbers first started there was a lot of uh times when the, the there was the, the players would get together uh, the old timers would get together and i know that when they got to the mls final we had a lot of the old timbers got together to watch them them play in the final two a couple of years ago and so these these all bring back memories when you get together and you see people that you used to play with or coach or, you know, I think that's when the memories come come, come back a little bit. And yeah. as you said, I mean, I mean, like, for example, I got a call like two months ago. I, I played at San Jose just for six months, but they're having their 50th anniversary uh, next year. And I got a call from uh, someone that's putting it together and asking I am interested in being involved in it. So just... And I would not, never really think much about San Jose, but then it just brings back memories about being your time there. And and to be honest with you, if I have the time to go to that, I will definitely go because I had a great, even though I was only at San Jose for for six six months, I had a great I had a good experience there and met a lot of friends there. Bill Ehrman was there when I was there, for example, uh, and we had some great stories about when we were there because of you know, different people. And the guy called Steve Zungo, who is a, one of the best ever oh, players yeah. to play in soccer, was there when we were there. And so, and Popovich, who was, 
the craziest coach I've ever had, but a fantastic coach was there. Uh, and so you, you just it just brings back memories when you when you think about these things. And but a lot of times until you maybe talk with someone about it or someone that you, you met or were friends with back there that brings it up, you don't think too much about it until it's brought up in stuff like this. So, so you sort of touched on this, actually, uh, looking forward to the Timbers celebrate their 50th anniversary with the 2025 season. And you've been yeah. in here for at least 45 years in the area, contributing to the game. You're also, you know, former Timber in the Ring of Honor. So we look at a situation like, like that, a celebration that's coming up. What do you hope to see and what kind of, you know, what can come of, a, of something like that to really not just honor the, the history we've had, uh, but also sort of, you know, build the community even even more than it is yeah I, th- I think it's i think it's a great opportunity uh you know i, I know in the past and i know when the, with the fud anniversaries in the past it's they've, they've been put together pretty well but i think 50 when you think of 50 years in in the u.s i mean it's you know you look at other countries and teams have been formed 100 years ago and but 50 years is pretty significant, and for the Timbers' name to be around for that long uh, is is fantastic. And the, there really is a lot of a lot of memories, uh, you know, not just with the Timbers, but with soccer in general uh, in Portland and and all the different eras. You, you talked, you, you touched bases. You talked about the WPSL, the APSL, the indoor soccer the timbers of the NESL, which obviously started it all. Uh, you had the USL, who, who had some amazing people involved in that league before right. the MLSL came. And, and the, MLS, the, MLS, the, the MLS wouldn't have probably happened unless the USL team was here before it. And so all kind of intermingled. Uh, Portland's had uh, a really... Uh, I mean, it's it's been a it, they call it soccer city, but it really has been a soccer city, and it still is. And I would imagine that they're going to, you know, I would imagine I, I would think that there's going to be a, a big celebration since it's a 50th anniversary. And so, uh, but it's still a, a little bit of ways. But yeah, it just uh, it just makes you think a lot about it. I mean, I know that uh, there's. Mick Holborn, for example, is probably the biggest historian of anybody that's involved with the Timbers. You know what I'm saying? And right. he he has so much knowledge of the history of soccer, probably tenfold of anybody I know, uh, would be a great resource to kind of <laughs> with that. Yeah. You know, uh, but uh, but you know, there's so many people that have been involved, whether it's playing to the you know, to the boosters, to the fan base, you know, to the sponsorships that were involved in the past. The Nikes, the Adidas have all been involved. Uh, it's just, uh, uh, I'm pretty excited for 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 it to to think that 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 it's been 50 years since the Timbers first landed here in 1975. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. So. John, I've got one more question that I want to—I didn't ask, and it's yeah. If you, if you don't mind, I'm going to put actually kind of a few of them into one that we skipped over. But I do want to say this because I hope people will will look for this. But I love—I've seen some highlights of you playing, mostly 
you know, uh, goal scoring, as it were. Uh, and I just, what I love about it is there's just so much joy when you score a goal. And it just looks like you had fun playing soccer. I want to ask what your, um, you know, if you think back, what is your best soccer memory and what do you miss most about playing? Uh, good questions. I would say my best soccer memories, I, I believe, in all the teams I played with were, were with the Timbers because of the camaraderie and stuff. I'd say the 78 season because we got to the semifinals that year. We lost to the Cosmos uh, at Giant Stadium in the semifinals. I would say that uh, probably my best memory was probably uh, scoring scoring that goal uh, in, in, the, in overtime, the sudden death goal against the Washington uh yeah, the, the Washington Diplomats was probably my best memory because it was obviously a playoff game and because I had made such a bad mistake prior to that time and I was winning that. I think that run in the playoffs, I mean, we went and played uh, Vancouver Whitecaps and we beat them up there and that was an amazing game as well. So probably that run of games to get to play the Cosmos was probably the best kind of memory, you know, with the Timbers that I had, because uh, it was just we weren't expected to get that far with the, the the team that we had at that point, and we just had a great season, and it was amazing, especially since I was for the first time because I was twenty one twenty twenty one then, it's the first time I'd really got a consistent time frame in in the first team, so. And so, to me, that that's probably my best memory was that season because of the run that we had with the team that we had, the chemistry we had on the team, uh, the characters like the Graham Days and the Clive Charles and uh, all these guys that were involved. I mean, it was just a great kind of great season. And the fan base, you know, and the the relationship we had with the fans because at that time, after games, we'd go the help. We'd go to after game parties and meet meet the fans, and and it was just a great kind of time, I think, to be a soccer player and promote the sport uh, in Portland. And so that would be probably the, the best memory I would have. I I just don't know if I've got any individual memories. I mean, it's always okay. good when you win games or 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 these things. Uh, but looking back at that the 78 season was was pretty special and uh I, I, it was really enjoyable uh for me i mean i think obviously when you when you score uh goals it's always fun to score i i, I uh scored in a hat trick as i said at home uh, against vancouver and i think they had won the the soccer bowl the year before and they had as i said they had a really good team and to be able to get a hat-trick in that game and beat them 5-1. Um, I think, I know that we talk about Seattle and Vancouver. I mean, obviously, we have a big a big rivalry with Seattle and we have a rivalry with Vancouver as well. But at that time, we actually had a bigger rivalry with Vancouver than what we did with Seattle because we had so many players that were from our club that were from Vancouver. I mean, Dale Mitchell, who was an incredible player, 
and Clive uh, and Bruce and Brian Grant and Gary Ayer, Peter Stanley, Ike Mackay, they all were from Seattle. No, no, sorry, they all were from Vancouver. And so for us to beat Vancouver, it was huge. And so uh, we beat them in the, in the quarterfinals of the Super Bowl that year. And so that that was that that was always good to do that as well. So just a lot of memories. You can't really pinpoint too many, you know, that were just singled out. You know. Well, um, John, did we miss anything? No, I don't. <laughs> I think it's been fun for me just to kind of look back on, you know, what's happened. And obviously, uh, didn't mention Timber Jim, but Timber Jim's obviously a big part of what's going on as well. And and to me, it's been, you know, you know, I don't, I don't go to all the Timbers games these days. I try to get there when I can, but it's always kind of when I when I go there and people ask me about being in the ring of honor and stuff it's it's just it's uh it's very uh it's very rewarding to kind of have my name up there with with the people that I've already been but with Mick and Jimmy and Clive and uh and and these guys and now with Diego it's just amazing to me it's just uh very satisfying that I've kind of uh it's humbling in some ways you know what I'm saying but it's it's just rewarding. Fantastic, John. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. You ain't got to be 200 pounds or a giant at 7-3 to play this game called soccer, which is growing rapidly. You can hear it on the radio. You will see it on TV. But when the Portland boys appear, you will hear them sing with glee. Green is the colour, soccer is the game We're the Portland Timbers and winning is our aim So let's give all of the boys a cheer for the Portland Timbers